excited in this series, TripAdvisor. We have just a couple weeks left. I can't believe it's summer. All students, junior high or middle school, elementary school if you're in here, college students, just wave your hand like this. Just wave at me. Wave at me. We welcome you back. So many of you college students, we're glad you're here. Let's let them know we're glad they're here. We, uh, we have an interesting season right now when, with a city like Fort Collins because, uh, and all of northern Colorado because we get inundated with thousands of more people. And we know that the traffic on Harmony hasn't been bad at all this summer. <laughs> so now you can imagine what it's going to be like. But hey, they're getting it fixed up. I want to I have an interesting topic today. I want to go on a journey. We've been talking about journeys in the Bible. A journey to Athens. How many of you have been to Athens, Greece? Okay, quite a few of you. Paul was there too. Paul was there before you were, probably. Okay? Now, Athens is a really unique place in Paul's day. Highly intellectual. Lots of philosophy. Lots of discussion. Lots of debate. People like to show off what they knew. They like to disagree. And this is happening constantly. It's kind of like a city that that's what they are known for. They have places in the city to go and do debates that are public. They had arenas where people could go in, sit down and listen to philosophers debate and argue about the world and things. And so Paul is wandering into this city named Athens, and it's a crazy, crazy culture. He starts there kind of as a tourist. The rest of his group doesn't arrive yet. You'll see it in Scripture in a minute. But he, he says, i got to see this place. He's walking around Athens, and he sees all these idols. There are thousands of idols to worship gods in Athens. And he's walking around. He's reading the plaques. This goddess, this god, this blah, blah, blah. On and on. Every road is lined with them. And he comes to this one plaque. It's actually an altar. And it has an engraving on it. And it says... To the unknown God. Athens was so religious that they didn't want to miss anybody. And so instead of just naming all the gods, thousands of them, they actually had one that said, To the God we might not know about. We worship that God too. And Paul, something clicks in him. Paul thinks that unknown God is going to become Jesus. I'm going to use their plaque and their altar to present the name of Jesus. How creative is that? That's how you build bridges to communities in the world. Let me tell you a concern that I have. I'm concerned that we live in a nation right now that is becoming less and less interested in the teachings of the Bible and the knowing of God. Religion is popular. Um, being spiritual is, is still in. But people are creating their own veins and lines of what that looks like for them personally. The kids being born right now in America, if their parents are not people of faith, they will have a, the, the least chance of any American so far in our history of having an adequate witness of who Jesus Christ really is. It used to be, see, many of you, like my generation, my grandma was a prayer warrior. 
How many of you had grandparents that took you to church or prayed with you before you went to bed? Even if your parents didn't, you had a grandma. Many of you didn't go to church, but once a year you went to VBS, Vacation Bible School. Wave at me. Yeah. That's my wife's story, Bonnie. Her, her real experience in this whole Jesus thing was Vacation Bible School. And keep praying for her. She'll get saved eventually, but I'm working on it. <laughs> the, the challenge that we have is that a lot of my generation and the generation below me were really, if they were away from God, they were more like prodigals. They had run away from their faith. That's a different thing than being lost, never having known the love of God and having faith in God. But now we're at the point where America's getting old enough to where this next generation, many of them in families without faith, will never understand who Jesus is. The only way they're going to learn about it is if we do a good job of building relationships with those families. Because right now, quote, being a Christian is not a favorite thing. And I don't know who to blame for that. I'm a Christian. I love Christians. I love you. But that term has now been dirtied. It has been pushed down. It, so many Christians have abused uh, even the teachings of God's Word. And so we're in a really unique situation, you guys. That's why this weekend I'm really doing my best to try to help us understand the Timberline philosophy and what we believe about reaching people who don't know Jesus Christ. I hope you'll take this message really seriously because we're going into the next 30 days of students coming back, engaging, lifestyles, habits, addictions. What happens in the next 30, 60 days in many of these college students' lives especially will set a tone for them for the rest of their life. So we want to get it right. And they're not an agenda for us. We must genuinely love people who do not walk in faith. You see, many people believe there is, there's got to be a God. Even atheists. I have some friends who are atheists and agnostics who, who every now and then they have this little openness. They're camping in the mountains and they see the Milky Way and they see the stars and they understand science and they have this moment where God prompts them and says, you really think this all came from a big bang? Maybe not. Maybe there's order. Maybe, maybe this creation is pretty divine. Maybe there's something up there and there's an openness and a willingness. And I just want to be able to be a church and a people group that help add to that, to help plant seed to that. Paul is coming into Athens and he's saying, hey, this, this idol that you already worship, I know the name of the unknown God. So it wasn't like saying, rip all this out. We're starting over. You guys are idiots. You're worshiping all these stupid gods that have no life. See, that's, that's kind of like the American way, right? If we're not careful, we have that heart instead of coming alongside and saying, you guys are doing great. Can we also talk about this and this and this? I was, uh, Bonnie and I were in England a few years ago teaching at a conference, and this little boy, we were in a food line, there was dessert, a bunch of ice cream flavors. And he was about this tall, little English kid, so cute, little ruddy cheeks. And he comes walking up to me, and he's just kind of going like this beside me as I'm walking. I'm looking in, and he tapped me. (laughs) He looks up at me. I must have been like a giant for him. He just looks up at me, and he says, "Um, excuse me, sir. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, dude, what do you want? How much do you need? Here. Just take my credit card. Go have some fun today. Oh, so 
cute. He said, then he said, this is an exact quote I wrote to him. He said, I do believe there is ice cream in there. <laughs> but I can't see it. <laughs> and, then, and then he looked up and he said, he put his arms out and said, could you give me a bit of a lift? Man, I reached and I scooped him up, hand under his belly, and held him over the side of that. And the first one he looked at, he looked back at me, and his eyes were big, and he said, Vanilla, my favorite. <laughs> Jeff always, Pastor Jeff, he's from England, he always tells me, Jerry, don't do the English accent. He said, you sound like a drunken Irish person. So sorry, Jeff, for butchering your language. See, that's the problem with God as we say the word. People have this notion that there might be something in there. But I just can't see it. I just don't know how to climb up and take a look. I don't know how to experience it. I don't know how to hear the voice of God. I don't know if it sounds really foolish and I don't want to be a fool. And, and, and it doesn't go with science from what, what I understand. And all this stuff gets washed away. But Timberliners are here to help build a bridge to something they already might have roots in. So let's go. If you have an outline, follow along. Number one, we must know Him, meaning God. We must know Him, the unknown God. Paul had no chance of reaching the people of Athens without this altar and a lead-in. It gave him a way to be able to talk to the Athenians in a, a way that they could respect. Because Paul was an intellectual. He was highly educated. He was respected. And he had had an encounter with God where basically he fell down and was blind for three days. And a voice from heaven said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Anyone in here have that? Okay, I didn't have that. So he sold out. There's no doubting because he physically experienced the power of God. So he's got to find a way. He can't just tell his testimony, though testimonies are very important. Acts 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, which I love that phrase. He was waiting for them. He really wasn't doing anything yet. He was deeply troubled. That's a unique Greek word that means from the, from the soul. By all the idols that he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. He spoke daily in public square to all who happened to be there. Paul decided to take advantage of the system that they had in Athens. And that's one thing we have to do is make sure that we use the systems we already have in place. Be light and salt in your real job, in your real neighborhood. Get to know your neighbors. We did the neighboring series. There's some great stories that are coming out of that. Not people as an agenda, but people because you love them and you care about who they are. Learn how to hear God's voice. Learn how to be obedient to God. Learn how to do the things that God is putting in you with the people that might not suspect it. But typically, the people that you're going to influence toward faith in Jesus are people that you already know. You know, the door-to-door thing, a lot of you have signs that say no soliciting. I saw one the other day. It was really cute. It said something like, I already read the newspaper. I already have chocolate in the house. I already know Jesus. I already, something like that, so go away. <laughs> that was really cute. <laughs> People aren't as open to some stranger coming in and telling them about Jesus. You ever been on an airplane with a Jesus freak? 
You know, I sat down a while back, and this guy, I mean, within 20 seconds, he's got his Bible out, and he's asking me if I'm a believer, and, and, and I'm like, well, tell me, tell me. I just wanted to hear his pitch, you know. And, and so I heard, I, I heard all about it, and it was so forceful. It was so forceful that I felt like a conviction to try to help him um, not do that anymore, you know. I really did. I said, can I talk to you? I'm a pastor, and, and I, I've helped many people come to faith. And, man, you're coming on really strong. <laughs> you know, his thing to me, he says, have you talked to that guy next to you? It's like, let's get him together. We can hold him. We can hold him right here. I don't think I helped him at all. Number two, we must know them, the unknown people. This is tricky for us. As a kid, I was taught to come out and be separate. Don't have friends that are not Christians or believers. Listen, this is very important generationally. Many of you are in situations in your life where you really need to pay attention who you hang out with because you will eventually become like them. If you're in middle school or you're in high school or you're a student at CSU or one of our other great colleges around you, you need to understand you're being influenced by the people you hang with. Once you establish your convictions and you're and you're drilling it out, and you're living in the way that you want to be living, then you can invite people into your life who might not share your values. But you've got to be strong enough not to be sucked into all the stuff that the world has to offer us. And this is the challenge. Some of you are not mature enough to have close friends that are not people of faith. Some of you need to avoid the party that you're going to be invited to. Why? Because there's a weakness in you that's not a strength yet. Others of you have strengths that allow you to invite people. Your house could be the hub. Our house growing up was always the hub for the neighborhood. And we had all kinds of people in our home. And I think it really matters that you get this right. Verse 18. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, What's this babbler trying to say? With these strange ideas he's picked up. Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Now, Paul knew the Athenians. He knew what was going on. And there's two major groups in Athens. The Stoics and the Epicureans. The Stoics, you need to hear this. The Stoics were followers of Zeno. Pantheistic in their view, they felt that man's responsibility was to face tragedy and triumph As though it was their fate. In other words, you bring it on. Whatever comes my way, this is what I was born to do. I can do it. And this belief system created some really good qualities. But it also created some really negative qualities. Such as pride. Because I'm a self-made man. I can do it. I can handle it. Nothing's going to get in my way. So pride became a huge problem in uh, the Stoic lifestyle. Then the Epicureans, you have these. This is fascinating. They followed Epicurus. He taught that the chief end of man was pleasure and happiness. How many of you will sign up for that? Man, that sounds pretty good. Pleasure and happiness. However, to give him credit, he said to get this pleasure, it's attained by avoiding excesses in your life. That's good. Avoiding the fear of death. I see that as positive. By seeking tranquility and freedom from pain and by loving mankind. So though they had a good list going, if you did that, you might be a, quote, good person. The Epicureans believed that if gods did actually exist, they would have no interest in your life. 
that is the stand of so many people in our world. It's kind of like, well, God might be up there, but He doesn't know me. And I'm here to tell you, God knows you. He knew you before you were born. You are created for great destiny and purpose. And that's not just a cliche. That's a fact, and that's the truth. And you need to know it, and you need to believe it. These two philosophies created a city called Athens that basically had two things that they went after. Pleasure and pride. Now there's a combination. Sound familiar? It's a scary time. We need to be thinking about it. But here's the deal. Paul knew their language. He knew they were intellectuals. Listen to what he did. In his talk, he quoted a poet that they would know from Crete, from the island of Crete. He, he has this passage, it's in verse 28, if you have your Bible open. This poet's name is Epimenides. And he, I know it sounds like a disease, but that's a guy's name. And in this Cretan poem, it was a high read, highly read piece of literature, and it says, For in him, meaning God, we live and move and have our being. How many of you have ever read that in the Bible? Yeah, it's in the Bible. But it was a Cretan poet who wrote that. And Paul is quoting him. The intellectuals in the room go, oh, whoa, I, I, I know who that is. I read that. I studied. I know all about that poem. And so there was respect that was established. Paul started building little blocks, talking about things they would know about, the God they already had. And then he quoted another poet named Aratus. And uh, Aratus was actually from Cilicia, which is where Paul came from. And many of them had read these, these poetry. It says, we are his offspring. And he had an entire poet piece about we are his offspring, meaning God's offspring. So he's got them in his hand. They're listening to what he's saying. He, you've got to know who you're reaching. Number three, we must know when. I've called this the unknown timing, and it's critical. You know, the timing sometimes is much more important than the what. Especially in spiritual things. Timing is everything. You can, you, can, you can blow stuff up that God's been trying to work on really fast if you don't use good timing. Verse 19. This is fascinating. Look. Then they took Paul to the high council of the city. Whoa. Why did they do that? You can talk. <laughs> this is the highest place... Where people argue and debate. Why did he get there? Why did he get to go? Because he had earned a spot. He, he was an intellectual. They respected him and they said, we want to hear more of what he has to say. So many times with believers, we blow it in the first round. And we're trying to get someone on their knees to say the sinner's prayer. And they're not even close to being ready. Paul didn't do that. His timing was amazing. They invited him to the platform. That he could have only dreamed about. Think about that. Let God open doors for you. Think about the timing of your life. Don't just be a bull and run in and try to make it all happen. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. Keep in mind, all this started when the first verse we read that said Paul was waiting for them in Athens. He was waiting for Silas. He was waiting for Timothy. 
They stayed behind to help settle some problems that came up in Berea. So Paul's all alone. And while he was waiting, all this happened. Does that, does that seem to... Here's why that's important. You might think you're just doing another Tuesday and nothing's happening. You might be right now waiting on something to happen. Waiting is when God can show up and surprise you. I remember when we first came to Fort Collins, we moved here and I didn't have a doctor yet. And I went to this little clinic. It wasn't far from the church. I had a 10 o'clock appointment to just get a checkup on some things. And (laughs) my appointment was at 10. So I got there about 5 till 10, checked in, sat down and started waiting. And it was about 10.05 and I wasn't too alarmed at that point. Then it was 10.10 and then it was 10.15 and then it was 10.20 and I started to feel a little irritated. And I went up to the desk and I said, you know, I have a 10 o'clock appointment. I have another 11 o'clock appointment back at the office. I have to leave by about 10 till. And so we're running out of time. Is there any way we can get me in here? It was 10.25. It was 10.30. For all you doctors in here, (laughs) you need to figure this out. And all the doctors in here are like, stay sick. We don't care. No. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. We love our medical community in our northern Colorado area. It's one of the best ever. It is. It's powerful. I went, sat down. I'm sitting there, and I look up, and I see three words on a wall in front of me, the main wall. And it says, the waiting room. And you know, God doesn't speak to me audibly, but God spoke to me very clearly and said to me, Northrop, I have one of these. And there's a lot to learn in the waiting room. You have journals right in front of you. You haven't read one of them. You have people all around you you haven't had any conversations with. A lot could have already happened in the waiting room had you been listening. You guys, if you're in the waiting room, God is there. God is always in waiting rooms at whatever stage of life you are waiting. I, uh, I think about Paul, and he has this moment, and he cares about the city. And I go to number four, and it's about the method. We must know how. The timing really matters, but the method might even matter most. Sometimes it's the unknown method that we've never tried before that opens the door to people who have never heard before. Or people who have heard a hundred times and it's not new and it's not right and they have no interest in it. I'm amazed at, look at verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. By the way, that would be a huge compliment to them. And they're all sitting there going, yes, yes, yes. Yes, we are. For I, as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had an inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship and yet you don't know Him, is the one I'm telling you about. (laughs) In other words, I have some insight, because you put this altar there of this God you don't know, I'm bringing you who that is. This is amazing. You've always known He existed. 
And then Paul just goes off. And he tells them the story. And he tells what happened. And it's a powerful moment. You know, I think if we could learn to give a compliment before we give a criticism, we would get a lot farther with advancing the kingdom of God. Amen? Learn to love and care and accept people where they are. I think I shared this before, but it fits so well. Our kids all grew up going to an elementary school here in Collins called Tavelli. It's out North LeMay. We had a great experience at Tavelli. One of the first things that happened after everyone was enrolled is they sent a, a memo out that had a Halloween party, something about Halloween. And a lot of Christians sort of don't care about it because we're not in England and we don't have the history that a lot of countries have with Halloween. But many Christians were really, you know, upset that they would use that word. So the school sent a letter out saying, hey, because of this, we want to have a parent meeting at the school. And I told Bonnie, I'm going to go to that meeting. So I, I went and I sat down. I was a little bit early and this guy came over and he sat next to me. We had never met. He had no idea who I was. I had no idea who he was. And uh, he said... Um, well, this is going to be an interesting meeting. And I said, well, what do you mean it's going to be interesting? And he said, well, the Christians will be here. <laughs> and I, and I, I didn't know what that meant at all. I said, what, what do you mean the Christians will be here? And this breaks my heart that he said this, but this is what he said. He said, the Christians only show up when they're mad. Now I know that's not true of you, but let's break that chain. Let's help when we're not mad. And let's not just be people of boycott. Let's be people of advancement and grace and love and mercy and spreading the goodness of God around the world. That's what we're all about as followers of Jesus. That's what Timberliners are about. And you guys do an amazing job at that. And I thank you for it. Paul knew how to build a bridge. He identified with them. He respected them. He did a lot of wonderful things to help build that bridge. Openness is not a bad thing. I was talking with someone a couple years ago. i got to hurry. Um, and, and they said, I'm a complete liberal. And I said, could you define that for me? Like, what does that mean? He said, well, I'm just open to everything. I said, even like religious things. Yes, I'm open to all views and all theories. And I said, that is really cool. I said, I'm, a, I'm of a view of, of, of Jesus, the Son of God. And he said, oh, no, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> and I said, whoa, 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 you're, you're, a, you're a liberal. You're an open thinker. Why would you... Not one of, oh, I've been down that road. It just doesn't lead to good things. I don't believe in Jesus. I said, you know, you're not a very good liberal. <laughs> and we became friends and have had a lot of talk since. But the bottom line is, sometimes people who think or say they're open aren't. And it takes a God moment. And in that God moment, you better be there and your antennas better be up. Because what you say then and your action then matters most then in that person's life. You know, I've told you before, I don't know how many touches it takes in someone's life to become a person of faith. Moments or seeds. Let's say it's 138. I don't know. I'm just throwing a number out there. Could be more. It could be less. I know it's different for everybody. But let's say average it's 138 seed plants, discussions, church moments, whatever. Are you okay being number six? Are you okay being number 12? 
Because what that means is you're not going to pray with the person. It means you're just there to plant a seed and encourage the growth to get them to 138. Everybody wants to be 138. And when you try to force someone to say the prayer and they're not ready and it's not the timing of God, you just push their number to 245. Because now they have resentment toward people who are trying to push something on them that they don't want. Let's remember that God opens doors for us. Let's remember that we can't bust the door open. Let's show respect to people who don't share our values. Thoughts to remember. Let me wrap up with these really quick four things. Cut my wrist. I don't know why. I'm not depressed. Thoughts to remember, okay? Thoughts to remember. I did something with my watch where I pushed my hand down too hard. I was too excited. Is there a doctor here? Sorry, I can't wait any longer. Uh, Okay, this is fun, isn't it? Thoughts to remember. Number one, be flexible, okay? Be flexible. Um. Pastor Mark, our missions pastor, before every missions trip, he sits everyone down and he says, Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. <laughs> a lot of truth in that. Life throws a lot of curveballs at us. If you're rigid, you're going to snap. And in walking with God, the opportunities God gives you, be flexible. He might want to send you somewhere you never, never want to go. He might do something with you because your gift that you wouldn't choose. He might put you right in your sweet spot. Just be flexible. Number two, recognize opportunity when it does come. And this is what I want to, I want to really challenge you on this. This week, I would really like for you, every person you talk to, every eye you look into, every meeting, I want you to just be sensitive if God has anything else for you to say. Just an act of kindness, a thought, asking them more about their life. Make it about them, not about you. Make it about what they believe, not about what you believe. And just get the conversation going. Number three, I've said this, show respect to all. Show respect to all. Disrespect is a sign that you really don't care about their future. You just want to be right. I can respect people who do not share my values or my disciplines or my integrity. Because God made them for more than what they're living and that makes me respect them and care for them in a huge way. That's a huge value at Timberline. And number four, and finally, please remember this. It's one person at a time. One person at a time. You know what blows my mind, honestly? While Jesus was dying on the cross for the whole world, millions and millions and billions of people, he had time for one guy on the cross next to him. And he has this conversation. At the moment, he's dying for all of us. He's like, oh, yeah. Today, you, one guy, will be with me in paradise. Let's make it about one. Let's make it about one. Let's not be afraid to live this out. I wrap this up. Acts 17.33. This is how it ended. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Wow! Among them, Dionysius, a member of the council. He's a bigwig. 
a woman named Damaris, and others with them. A little stroll through Athens with a little altar with the inscription to an unknown God became followers of Jesus who, who knows their impact in Athens. Some of you could be related to that ancestry that goes that far back. It matters. Everyone matters. Let's pray. Lord, one matters. Just incredible to us. The power of one. Show us that. Put us in our neighborhood for a reason. Our workstation is next to someone for a reason. Help us not to get weird about it, but to be intentional as we can. And not to be afraid. I want to pray for several groups of people. And I don't know if I even want you to raise your hand or not. But I hope you'll just say yes. If you need to become others-oriented more. Man, we're in a culture that just drives us to make it all about us. What we eat, what we do, how much, where we live, what we drive, all about us. Pleasure. But could I just step in your path today and say, stop it for a while. Put some focus on others personally investing in their lives. The second thing is, I, will I pay more attention to opportunity? Again, I'm not saying force something. I'm saying look for opportunity that God's opening a door. I think I walk, I think I blow right through opportunities that God's putting in front of me. I know I do. And I don't want to do that anymore. God, would you help us in these two areas? To be other-centered and to truly look for opportunities that our antennas would be up high enough that we would hear the wind of the Spirit, the breath of God that would lead us and guide us. For those of you that are in this room separated from God, could I just say we love you. God loves you. If you're ready to make a statement of faith, you can just pray this prayer with me. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. I believe you are the Son of God and you died for me. And I pledge to you my life. And I accept forgiveness by faith. Lord, we offer all this to you in your name.